Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14, then 22, 24. And if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, please stand. And the Bible says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then drop down to verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your precious word. Uh, We thank you for all those that are here this morning, Lord. We thank you for those that are reaching out to us uh, over the internet, over phone calls, Lord. Please uh, uh, be with them. Please help them to come and and, uh, be a part of our family, our church family here, Lord. Again, uh, be with me, Lord. Please speak through me. Please give me your words. Please, Holy Spirit, guide my my tongue and my thoughts this morning, Lord. Please help it all be done to your honor and your glory. Please help me exactly what you'd have us to have this morning, Lord. Uh, please help me skip things I'm supposed to skip. And please give me the words uh, to say that you want me to add to it, Lord. Again, just flow through me. Get through that, flow through that message through me this morning, Lord, and use me uh, this morning to bring the message you'd have us to have. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so the title of our message this morning is purification and victory through the blood. Uh, Luke twenty two twenty says, likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So we know the old covenant was established on the basis of blood. Uh, Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 9, verses 19 to 21 is actually taken from Exodus chapter 24. And Exodus 24, 7, 8 says, and he took the book of the covenant, and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the, on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. So we know it's through the blood, established upon the blood. It's, it's by the blood. We just read in Exodus how the book of the law was sprinkled with blood. And so were the people, the tabernacle, the people were, the tabernacle, the furnishings were. It, it was all through the blood. It, you know, it must have been a very solemn occasion when that was dedicated. Not only was blood used at the beginning of the ministry of the Old Covenant, but it was used regularly in the administration of the tabernacle services. Uh, under the Old Covenant, people, objects were purified by blood. Uh, this was, of course, ceremonial purification. It meant that the person's objects were now acceptable unto God. This purification, though, did not alter the nature of the person. Uh, God's principle that is all throughout the Bible is that blood must be shed before sin can be forgiven. Leviticus 17.11. So since God has ordained the remission of sin through the, the shedding of blood, and since that purification comes through the sprinkling of blood, it is necessary that blood be shed and applied if the new covenant is to be enforced. Uh, notice it says the patterns, or the old covenant tabernacle, they were, these were purified by the sprinkling of the blood. But the originals, you could say, were also purified. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ not only purifies the conscience of the believer, Hebrews 9.14, but also purified the heavenly things themselves, Hebrews 9.23. If you want to look at me at verses 22 to 23 again in Hebrews, we're going to uh, look, look at our first point, which is the purification 
of the heavenly things. So Hebrews 9, 22 to 23. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. You know, uh, the message the Lord had us for this morning, where we we were at in the book of Hebrews, is very timely uh, for us this morning. I just love how the the Lord kind of, I don't know well enough to plan that far ahead, but the Lord kind of plans everything perfectly. And I just love how that always works out. And again, this morning, if you're here in Sunday school, I'm again referencing verses Brother Chuck did in his in his lesson this morning. Um, I don't know. I think he breaks into my house every Saturday night and reads my notes and then and steals them before I could say it. I, I can't figure out any other thing, any other way to make it happen. But uh, almost every Sunday, so just I'm not copying off the of off of Brother Chuck again. So just make sure that's straight here. Uh, so these heavenly things, it says, uh, the but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these says that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with with these with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these so the heavenly things needed cleansing because there was sin in heaven at one point in time uh the blood of bulls and goats has never been shed in heaven that would be just a, a crude thing however the blood of christ who believe is in heaven and has since purified these heavenly things uh from that sin and that sin of course would have been the sin of lucifer when he rebelled against God, when he had that sin of pride. So since our text, since this is in our text, uh, it's in our text uh, saying that the, the, the these heavenly things needed to be purified. They were purified by the blood of Christ. They only need to be purified because of that sin, the sin of Lucifer that was there. And so since that's in our passage, I thought it would be, better, it would be good to dig a bit deeper into this point this morning and look at the necessity that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, that is purified with the blood of Christ. Notice better sacrifices than these. It wasn't bulls and goats that this is referring to. It was referring to the blood of Christ. This verse teaches us that the heavenly things themselves need to be purified with better sacrifices than these. And of course, that is referring to Jesus Christ and his shed blood. So let's look at the necessity of the purification of the heavenly Things. If you turn with me to Ezekiel, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 28. We're looking at verses 12 to 19. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19. We're going to look at the necessity of the purification of the heavenly things. Now, when I started working on this message this week, I fully intended to complete chapter 9 with this message. I thought that would be no problem. I could finish chapter 9 and we'll start chapter 10 next week. But then after I started studying chapter 9, started digging into chapter 9, especially these couple verses here, the Lord just showed me that he wants us to focus in on why this had to happen. And the, the culprit behind the why, of course, is Lucifer. So we're going to we'll study him a little bit this morning. So Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone, every precious stone, that's it's impressive. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx, and the, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrays and thy pipes. Tabrays is kind of uh, similar to a tambourine. 
And the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Uh, By the multitude of, of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee. O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. That's key there too. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. This is, of course, the account of the fall of Lucifer from heaven. Uh, Notice verse 16. Notice where Lucifer is being cast from after God said he had sinned. With violence, and thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. The mountain of God would be another way of saying the abode of God or, or heaven itself or God's throne room. Lucifer is right there in the midst of heaven. He's in the pinnacle of heaven. He has that sin, and God says, I'm going to cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Uh, So we can see there was sin, the sin of Lucifer in heaven. This is why verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 9 says what it says. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, Hebrews 9.23. So the blood of Christ cleansed that sin out of there. Now, the mountain of God, that's again the very pinnacle of heaven. It's the place of the God's throne. Uh, Satan walked up and down right there. And he, uh, he said he walked up and down upon the sea of glass mingled with fire. That was walked up and down the midst in the midst of the stones of fire, Ezekiel 28, 14. And we can compare that to what it says in Revelations 15, 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Satan was right there. Walked up and down that right there by the throne of God, right there in the pinnacle of heaven. You know, Lucifer at one time had access to the highest levels of heaven, uh, the very throne of God. Lucifer was not, he was one of, if not, the highest of the angels. Uh, And being one, he's one of the only three named in the Bible. I mean, he had it all. He had it all. Uh, Now let's look at a description of Lucifer before he said, Ezekiel chapter 28 provides a very enlightening description of Lucifer. And that wasn't a pun that was intended there, but his name is Light Bearer. It's uh, so enlightening description. So, uh, before his fall, uh, he was called Light Bearer. I got one chuckle, so uh, it was my attempt at a joke. Um, so God had created him with precious stones. The Bible says every precious stone was his covering. Uh, musical instruments were woven into his very being. He was an angel of music. Uh, The precious stones obviously allowed him to fulfill his role as that light bearer, uh, reflecting and refracting the light of God in the rainbow or just just throughout the universe. He's reflecting and refracting the light of God. And his fall could account for why what we call outer space is so dark. The light bearer is no longer doing his job. He's no longer there. He's been cast down. He's no longer reflecting and refracting the light of God as he once did. 
Um, remember, it is God. God is light. And darkness is the absence of light. So he, the angel of light is no longer reflecting, reflecting, reflecting that light. And so that's why it could be why it's so dark. Musical instruments were apparently given so that he might fulfill his role as the worship leader of the sons of God or, or the heavenly host. Uh, he provided music as the sons of God would sing praises to the Lord. This is mentioned in Job 38, 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, and it would have been Lucifer's job to lead that heavenly choir. Uh, can you imagine leading a choir of millions or perhaps billions of angels singing with perfect pitch, perfect harmony in the heavenly host? I can't imagine a better job than that. He had it all. He had it all. Verse 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 also refers to Lucifer as the anointed cherub. He was the epitome of perfection until iniquity was found in him. So I have a question that's asked a lot. Why did God create the devil? That's a question that's been asked numerous times. Why did God create the devil? Well, the answer is God did not create the devil. What God created was a pure spirit being of great wisdom, a glorious spirit being that just dared to conspire against the throne of God, committed that sin, and therefore became the arch enemy of God and man. God did not create the devil. He created that angel of light, the light bearer, Lucifer, the, the, the worship leader of heaven. That's who he created. Uh, this spirit being, this Lucifer, had the privilege of being in Eden. This spirit being was created as the most beautiful and talented of all the angels. His covering was every precious stone. The workmanship of his tabrets, like I said, it's, it's kind of like a, a tambourine. And his pipes that suggest it was his job to lead the praises of that angelic host, like we mentioned I cannot believe a more privileged position in heaven than to lead that, provide the music for that, to lead that worship of God. Lucifer dwelt in the very presence of deity, walking up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. We read Hebrews 12, 29, that our God is a consuming fire. Lucifer was created perfect. Uh, he was not created as an evil being, but a perfect spirit being. The Bible says in verse 15 of Ezekiel 28, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. He was perfect. God said in verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. It was pride. It was uh, Satan's desire to glorify himself above God. Satan's desire to exalt himself as God or equal with God. It was that pride, that, that desire for the exaltation that turned that angel into the devil. The devil was not created as a devil. The devil was not created with evil in him, but he's created a perfect, beautiful, highly privileged, angelic being, and evil came into existence upon Lucifer's sin. Lucifer's sin. So let's look at Lucifer's sin. Now, uh, the sin of Satan was pride. Uh, the Lord brought us here this morning. He brought us to this passage this morning. Uh, it is showing how the heavenly things needed that purification by the blood of Christ. They needed that purification because of the sin of Satan. And the sin of Satan was pride. Like in verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou was corrupted. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. Now, if you will turn with me to Isaiah, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 14, 
Uh, this gives us another account about the fall of Satan. This gives us more information here to look at. Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 12 to 19. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 19. And God's word says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And just a quick pause there. Every time heaven's referred to in the Bible, it's always north. Yeah, that's just an interesting fact. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down into the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. His pride didn't really profit him, did it? It didn't really work out too well for him. Let's look at Satan's five I will statements in verses 13 to 14. Number one, I will ascend into heaven. Next, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So Satan's sin was pride. And I always find it interesting that a lot of our politicians have that same sin and that same tendency to always say, I, I, I. I find that very interesting that they say I all the time. And it seems our recent presidents have had that tendency. Um, I, I, I. So we point out how the sin of Satan was pride. Also notice what God says about pride in scriptures. This was the sin that caused the cleansing to be necessary in heaven. So we're going to see what pride, what God says about pride. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. If you notice, that could be a description of Satan himself. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Satan is the source of it. Pride, that was Satan's sin that got him cast out of heaven. Arrogancy, that was him sin that got him cast out of heaven. The evil way comes from Lucifer. The froward mouth, all his, all his I will statements, do I hate. Uh, Proverbs 8.13 is basically an indictment on Lucifer himself. The Lord hates pride. And his children that are right with him are to hate pride too. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Again, we can see how that applies uh, perfectly to Lucifer. The Lord warns us that pride always leads to destruction. It led to Lucifer being cast from heaven and becoming the devil. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Pride brings us low. Pride brought Satan low. It will bring him even lower when he's cast in that lake of fire to burn forever. Jeremiah 50, 31, Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord of hosts. The Lord is against the most proud. The Lord is against the most proud. Daniel 5, 20, But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, 
He was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Nebuchadnezzar lost it all because of his pride. He was brought very low because of his pride. His sin of pride led to his destruction. Uh, Mark 7, 21 to 23, From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Notice what pride is grouped with. Pride is a very terrible sin. So since the text showed us that there was that sin in heaven, heaven needed the blood of Christ to purify it from that sin. Let's keep digging in a little bit more in this sin of pride. Uh, the Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. A prideful person uh, tends to think too highly of themselves. They think, look at what I've done. Look what I'm doing. Look at how every, look, look at how my plans have led to this success. Their, their lives are just, just, just proud. You can just see it. It's proud. They, they don't seek out godly instruction. They don't seek out guidance and counsel when they need it. Instead, they listen to those that will just keep building up their sinful pride and not to those that may rebuke them on occasion in love. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's a very good verse to keep in mind, especially for those that I think that are in Christian leadership. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We can always have those people that tell us what we want to hear, but we need to have those people that tell us what we don't want to hear sometimes. Um, We need those people too. Um, Someone once said, this was written in 1828, they wrote, the greatest of all disorders is to think we are whole and need no help. We all could use some help. We all don't have it together. Uh, we, we, We should all stay humble and we need help. We need the prayers of each other. We just need each other. And sometimes we need that correction that, or that or that just nudging, like, are you sure about that? And sometimes that, if you're not a, pride, a proud person, that's about all you need to hear. Are you sure about that? And then that gets you to think, like, well, rethink it all. Like, yeah, I don't think I am sure about that. But if you're a proud person, someone says, are you sure about that? It just goes right out the window. So we can't, we can't let pride build up in us. Pride can also take the form about complaining about God. A proud person in a difficult situation may try to blame that situation on God. You know, I prayed about it two months ago for five minutes. Why isn't this working out? You know, I read my Bible every couple of weeks. You know, I read a verse or two here or there. Why aren't things working out for me? You know, that's that pride can take the form of complaint about God. A pride can take the form of a lack of gratitude. Second uh, Chronicles thirty two twenty five. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah in Jerusalem. He didn't. He wasn't thankful, for his heart was lifted up. Uh, so pride can lead us to not be thankful. Pride can take the form of unteachableness. Many proud individuals know it all, or, or at least they think they they know it all. Uh, they think they are superior. They think they have they have little respect or regard for instruction. Uh, Proverbs 19.20, Hear counsel and receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. And then Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Pride can take that form of unteachableness. We have to be on the lookout for pride. Pride can find uh, two more points on pride, and then we'll move on. Pride can be manifested 
and a lack of a good biblical prayer life. I touched on this a bit earlier. Most proud people will pray very little, if at all. Uh, If they do pray, it's a self-centered prayer. It's a self-serving prayer. You may have some of those I will statements sprinkled out through their prayer. A prideful person's prayer will be all about them, all about their desires. Uh, They won't pray for others. They won't pray for others' needs. Again, we saw this. That that account of Lucifer reminds us of that, or pride can just be manifested in that lack of a good biblical prayer life. And then the last one, pride can be manifested in anger or an angry spirit. I've seen this one a lot. A prideful person tends to be a person with, and when they have a problem, they have a problem with their anger. Uh, This anger can be demonstrated in outbursts, withdrawing, pouting, or or acting out in self-destructive behaviors. Another way this anger can be manifested is that we just would consider a very moody spirit. Uh, you might hear that phrase, walking on eggshells around them. It's just their, their pride just leads to being them being easily offended, even when you meant no offense at all. And, and then, so we have, we're talking about pride, the sin of pride, how much God hates that sin of pride, how that sin of pride led to that cleansing of the heavenly things through Christ's blood. And so now, Again, it's amazing how timely God's Word is, how timely He guides us through the study. This this type of thing has happened several times in our study, where the Lord, I did not plan it, but it landed just the Sunday on that passage that we need to have just that Sunday, and it's so timely. So can anybody think of a good example of pride or the glorification of Satan that possibly happened this past week? So we're going to talk about that for a minute. We're going to talk about that for a minute. The Lord, again, his perfect timing, his perfect pacing, brought us to this passage right here this morning. And it happened to coincide with something that happened in our country. Uh, the Lord brought us to this topic of Satan and his sin, that sin of pride, that sin of glorifying Satan over God this week. And we're going to take a moment to address what happened last Sunday evening that was televised on CBS, which you, which just was devil worship. That's all it was. It was devil worship. Uh, What the world witnessed was the worship and the attempted glorification of Satan and sinful unholiness. Uh, The flames, the color red, predominantly really made that point clear. Along with the singer, in case you were still questioning it, the singer put on a hat with horns indicating he's playing the role of devil or Satan in this worship that was going on in that stage. The movements on stage by musicians, the dancers, The imagery that took place against a very large backdrop of flames indicating hell all made it abundantly clear. This was about Satan. This was about trying to exalt Satan. This was devil worship on live television broadcast by CBS. Um, It was about the engrandizement, engrandizement, the celebration, the worship of Satan, the prideful puffing up of Satan about Satan getting exalted and God not getting glory. Two males, two biological males that chose not to identify themselves as males led the audience and those that watched by television in what can only be described accurately as devil worship. Uh, Notice it was the music industry that the devil used. And what was the devil the angel of? Music. We know the devil was the angel tasked with leading the music in heaven in the worship of God, and the devil used music to lead all those in attendance, all those that watched in worship of himself. 
Uh, instead of glorifying God, the gift God gave him, he tried to glorify himself with the gift God gave him uh, through that music. He did it through the very medium he was tasked to glorify God with. He used that music to exalt himself. So now let's consider a Christian worldview for a moment. If we have a Christian worldview, that means we really do believe in the existence of Satan. We really do believe in the, in the devil. We believe in that. Uh, we believe in a personal Satan who rebelled against God and who led a rebellion against God. And as you're looking at Satan, who is the first and foremost among these, uh, those that are described as fallen angels, you are by time you get to the end of New Testament, looking at the epitome, the representation of opposition to God. And that opposition to God, by the way, takes the supreme form of attempted prideful self-glorification. But we know Satan is defeated. He's defeated. The Bible is very clear. Satan is already defeated. Ultimately, Satan is defeated. He was defeated at Calvary. That's what's most important to understand. And yet the Lord has allowed him to have a continued role in his opposition because that's part of God's bigger plan, part of God's total plan to bring that ultimate glory to his own name. Ezekiel twenty-eight eighteen again, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. At the end of days, Satan and all those with him will be judged, Satan will finally be defeated, and his defeat will be so comprehensive that every single person on earth, past, present, future, will know that has happened. The Lord's going to make sure everybody knows Satan's defeated. Satan's been brought down. God is going to bring the greatest glory to his name, the greatest glory to himself by defeating Satan. We know it's already done at Calvary, but he's going to culminate that, and the whole world's going to see it. It's going to be witnessed by every single being, who, every single human being who's ever lived. So now let's think in terms of of Christian truth for a moment and reflect on what happened last Sunday night. I, I still, for life, may can't believe that actually happened. This is America. We were founded by, for the most part, Christians that sought to come over here, and that happened in our country. So I got two thoughts on that. Number one, this was the aggrandizement, a worship of, and a celebration of Satan. It was devil worship. That's not theologically neutral. That's religious. They're promoting a religious belief. And we're looking at the fact that millions and millions of people in the United States and around the world looked at that, watched it without obvious disgust. Now, many people have were disgusted, and I'm thankful they were. But you have millions that weren't and just thought, well, that's fine. Horror would have been the right response uh, for what happened. Sunday night and for most of the world, but that was not the response. Now, I have not watched the whole thing. I had to watch a little bit of it because it happened. I had to have some knowledge of it, but I refused to watch the whole thing. My next observation, the second thing you need to note is that when you are looking at a performance like this that transgresses intentionally against God, intentionally rebels against that Judean Christian principles our society has been founded upon, you're indeed looking at the fact that that fundamental Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview is being rejected primarily by those that are artistic in culture, uh, primarily by what we refer to as the intellectual elites, primarily by mainstream media. 
So where we are witnessing an in-your-face rejection of God, an in-your-face rebellion against God, uh, an in-your-face rejection of Judeo-Christian values, the traditional values that America has had as part of its soul for the last 250 or so years. But we know Satan's incredibly crafty. The New Testament presents Satan as being incredibly crafty. He celebrates, Satan celebrates every defeat as he sees it. Every defeat as he sees the gospel, he'll snatch that seat away, which we'll be talking about tonight. Every entry into the church, every foothold, every inch he can take into the church, he celebrates that. Every move towards secularization, he celebrates that. Every transition away from biblical truth, no matter how small or insignificant you may deem that, he celebrates it. That's why we have to remain firm. We can't give an inch. We can't give a quarter of an inch. We have to remain firm. So when you are not seeing performances such as that satanic performance that took place on Sunday night, that does not mean that Satan is not at work. And it does not mean that Satan's purposes are not being served. But also tells you that Satan represents the unraveling of the entire moral order of the world. And who is the conveyor of that? Well, many different people can be the conveyor of that. You're going to have the, the ministers in churches across America being the conveyor of that. But that particular Sunday night, let's look at who was a conveyor of that. Uh, we have, and to me, what could be a more direct refutation of God's glory in creation than two biological males involved in this kind of performance, both declaring themselves in one way or another to be something other than they biologically are, uh, rejecting how God made them. Just another reminder that gender, or the gender, and especially the transgender revolution, represents the intentional unraveling of the entire structure of creation as in direct rebellion against God and his creation. We cannot give an inch. We have to be strong. And I believe we've put in place a very strong marriage document in our church. I believe our, our belief statement is strong. We cannot give an inch on that. We cannot condone that. Um, so now let's start wrapping this message up. Let's move on to something else now. Let's close out this message. Uh, we're going to close out looking at the blood of Christ in heaven. What, what better thing to close out this kind of message with than that? Uh, Hebrews 9.24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, the tabernacle on earth was just a figure. It was just a type. The reality is in heaven. Now to appear in the presence of God for us, means before the very face of God, Christ has entered, has not entered into a man-made sanctuary, but he's entered that heavenly sanctuary. He died on earth to save us. He lives in heaven to intercede for us. He is there in heaven for us. He is always at the same time here with us as well. Jesus' blood is in heaven. Uh, he, we, he took it up there. We know it's the eternal blood. Uh, Acts 20, 28 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. We know it's Christ's blood, but Acts 20, 28 seems to indicate to us that it was also God's blood. So God lives forever. First John 5, 20. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So we know God, we know Jesus, we know the Holy Spirit. They all live forever. They are eternal. And we saw how the blood that purchased us was Christ's blood. 
Uh, Acts 20, 20 seems to indicate it was also it could be considered God's blood. We know, therefore, it has to be eternal. There could not be a part of God that ceases to exist. Uh, Hebrews 9, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? That purge that's in the present tense, so it's present tense purging our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It takes the blood of Christ to purge our conscience. Now those people that were guilty of what we talked about, they could have their conscience purged. They could be forgiven. Forgiveness is available if they would only turn to him. Quit rebelling against him. Forgiveness is available. Our, our conscience is purged by the eternal blood of Christ. When we get saved, the Bible teaches we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 1.5. We are washed clean today by that same blood. Now that blood can give us personal victory over sin. Uh, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 9 uh, says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 also goes along with that. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself by the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Stronghold of that pride that we've talked about, that can be pulled down by the eternal blood of Christ. The stronghold of carnal imaginations, that can be pulled down by the blood of Christ. The stronghold of disobedience to God's word, that can be pulled down through the blood of Christ. The stronghold of, of perversions, of what we talked about, uh, can be pulled down through the blood of Christ. The stronghold of whatever sin it is, whatever sin any one of us is struggling with, can be pulled down through the eternal blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, by being in the heavenly holy of holies, shows the believer that we can plead the blood our simple thoughts and actions. We can plead the blood for our imaginations, for, for our sin of pride. Uh, when we plead the blood, then that blood can be applied to our inner, our inner mind, or if you want to say psychological being. I don't like quite like that word, but you, want to, you know what I'm talking about, our inner mind. Uh, it, it purges, it cleanses us, it rids us of those wicked, sinful works that have to do with those dead works that are in our life. The blood of Christ can purge out or burn out those sins. We can plead the eternal blood. The eternal blood of Christ has all the power that's needed to pull down that stronghold of pride, wherever that is in our life. Remember, it could just be an inch. It could just be a tiny little stronghold. In this whole entire thing, there's no pride, but we have that bit of pride in our life. We need to get that out of our life. because That's a sin that can lead to so many other sins. So we can claim the promises of forgiveness through the eternal blood of Christ. We can claim the promises of, of a new beginning through that blood of Christ. We can be made clean from whatever sin there is in our life through that blood of Christ, that atoning blood of Christ. We just need to go to his blood, plead that blood. Again, I'm thankful for what the Lord, how the Lord has worked out our study. It seems every time it's right on the money right where we need to be, right where we need to study. It's very timely. And again, I am not that good. That It's just God directing us through our study. It's amazing how many times over and over again that's happened. And how many times the Holy Spirit has synced 
our Sunday school teacher and our pastor together and mentioning the same things. It's just amazing. I cannot explain that either. It's amazing. Holy Spirit's working in both places and syncs us together so many days. It's amazing. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, for everything you've